Well, good, good morning to all of you. Glad you could join us this morning. If you need a Bible, if you don't have one with you and you'd like to, um, the ushers will come up and down the aisles. You can raise your hand and they'll get one to you. But welcome to Whitestone. My name is Josh Watson. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you were here last week, you probably know that we uh, started a Christmas series called, I don't know, I don't, <laughs> I don't think we have a Christmas uh, name or a, a series title, Christmas Celebration, that's what you, <laughs> there's no real name, it's just four different topics, uh, we couldn't think of anything creative. Actually, the only thing that we did come up with was since there are four topics, and they are Advent, Bethlehem, Gifts, and Angels. So A, B, G, A. Luke suggested when we were coming up with this that we call the series the BGs in AA. <laughs> so then I thought, well, let me put some art to it. So here's what we can. <laughs> Apparently, it got scratched, though, because Luke didn't use it last week. I don't know what happened. But anyway, we're at the start of this Christmas series, um, and last week, Luke spoke on Advent, um, the coming of Jesus to this earth, as well as the coming of Jesus into our soul, into our heart. And so this week, we're going to look specifically at Bethlehem and the role that it plays in the story of Christ coming to the earth, the greatest story that ever told. Uh, but don't misunderstand what is meant by the, that word story. Don't misunderstand that word because a lot of people, when they hear that word story, they automatically associate it with something made up, you know, a made up story, uh, fiction, right? For example, what story starts out like this? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Star Wars. Okay, it's a very popular story. Uh, it's a story that never seems to end. <laughs> but many love it, yes. But it's, pre it's made up. It's pretend. Uh, Chewbacca isn't real. The other ones. Uh, in fact, there's actually one way that you can usually tell right away if a story is made up or not. And that is whether or not it gives a specific time and place for the setting. So you have a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Nothing specific because it's, it's made up. It's like fairy tales. See if you can guess this. Once upon a time, there was a woodcutter and his wife. Hansel and Gretel. Here's another. Once there was a gentleman who married the proudest woman that was ever seen. It actually, once there was a gentleman who married for his second wife the proudest and most haughty woman that was ever seen. Does that help anymore? Cinderella. Next, there was a poor widow who lived with her son, Jack, 
far out in the country. Jack and the Beanstalk. So you can see they all start off once upon a time or once there was, and then there's no real specific uh, place or location made up. Nothing specific because they're all made up. However, the story of the birth of Christ, it's real history. It's actual events in history that we are given a very specific time and place. We're given both. In Luke 1, verse 5, it says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. Also, Luke 2, 1 and 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So the birth of Christ on this earth, coming from heaven down to this earth, took place when Herod was king of Jeru in Jerusalem, Augustus was the Caesar in Rome, and Quirinius was the governor in Syria. And when you look up each of these guys in history, it's what you find. Caesar Augustus lived from 63 B.C. to 14 A.D. King Herod was born 73 B.C. and most likely died 1 B.C., according to the latest research, maybe a few years earlier. And Governor Quirinius lived from 51 B.C. to 21 A.D. So you can see they all lived at the same time, right about the time when history goes from B.C., before Christ, to A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, which makes sense when Christ was born. So that's the when. What about the where? Luke 2, 4 to 6. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And while they were there, the time came for her, referring to Mary, to give birth. And then also in Matthew 2, 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. So both accounts give the same location for the birth of Christ, the town of Bethlehem, a small town in the land of Israel in those days. In fact, it's still a small town in the land of Israel even today. In fact, here's how you get there from Whitestone Church. <laughs> Hold on. That easy. <laughs> it takes just two seconds. It's really not that far. But you get pretty dizzy, as you can see. Just spin around a lot. Uh, but how many of you have been to Bethlehem? All right. Quite a, quite a number. Or even know someone that has been to Bethlehem. All right. Quite a few. Quite a few. In fact, we at Whitestone, we've taken five trips there. And so I know that there's a chunk of you uh, from Whitestone that have been there. But the point is, we're talking about a real place, the town of Bethlehem in Israel. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about that place, its origin, origin of the name, its significance, and its fulfillment. So first off, where did it get its name? Where do we get, how did that area get the name Bethlehem? Because every town city, you know, there's always a reason why it has that name, or there's a story behind how it got 
its name. Like Economwalk, right? Some of you probably know how Economwalk originally got its name. According to the official City of Economwalk website, this is what it says, the Potawatomi and Winnebago tribes named the area Ku No Mo Walk, which means where the waters meet, which you can see pretty clearly when you look at an aerial photograph of the city. Now, after first service, two separate people came up to me and said, you know, you got the story of the origin of Conwalk wrong. It really was some guy who came from out east, a Native American who walked all this distance, and then finally he sat down and said, a Kanoma walk. At first, both times they come to me and say, you got it wrong. I'm like, oh my goodness, what? Oh, okay. <laughs> but how many of you know how Wisconsin got its name? According to the Wisconsin Historical Society, Wisconsin, originally called Miskansing, comes from the Native American name for the river that runs 430 miles through the center of our state, currently known as the Wisconsin River. Miskansing means a stream that meanders through something red. It's a reference to the red sandstone bluffs of the Wisconsin Dells. So basically, if you want to know the origin of the name of any place around you, you can just assume it is a Native American word that in some way refers to water. <laughs> You're pretty safe. As far as Bethlehem, though, it might surprise you where it got its name. If you turn in your Bibles to everyone's favorite book, 1 Chronicles, you look at what it says in chapter 2. It's very interesting. It's giving the genealogy of Caleb. Now, this is not the Caleb that's one of the two good spies, but it's most likely a Caleb that was named after him. In 1 Chronicles chapter 2, verse 18, it says, Caleb, the son of Hezron, fathered children by his wife, Azubah. Verse 19. When Azubah died, Caleb married Ephrath, who bore him her. Then if you jump down to verse 50, it says, The sons of her, the firstborn of Ephrathah, Salma, the father of Bethlehem. So it's actually a person's name, originally. So this guy, Hezron, had a son named Caleb. Caleb married Ephrathah, and they had a son named Her, and Her's grandson was named Bethlehem. And if you do the math, this guy Bethlehem was part of the generation that was alive when the Israelites entered the promised land. So kind of makes sense that he got a town named after him. Pretty cool. This is why First Chronicles is everyone's favorite book. It's stuff like this. It's fascinating. But the truth is the significance of the town of Bethlehem actually starts before it even got that name. In Genesis 35, in Genesis 35, you read about when Jacob returns with his family back to the land of Israel after he had been gone for over 20 years. And as he was headed south towards Hebron in order to see his father Isaac, who at this point was very old, near death, on the way, his wife Rachel goes into labor. And this is what it says in Genesis 35, 16 to 20. Then they journeyed from Bethel. When they were still some distance from Ephrath, Rachel went into labor, 
and she had hard labor. And when her labor was at its hardest, the midwife said to her, do not fear, for you have another son. And as her soul was departing, for she was dying, she called his name Ben-Oni. But his father called him Benjamin. So Rachel died, and she was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So while Jacob and his family are traveling towards Hebron to see their father, his father Isaac, Rachel goes into labor, and she dies giving birth to a son. And since the birth, since the labor was so difficult, was such a struggle, she names her son Ben-Oni, right before she dies, which means son of my sorrow or son of my struggle. But Jacob looked at the boy differently because even though he had lost his wife, Rachel, he had also gained a son. And that's a great thing. His son had survived. And so he gave his son a name that refers to strength. Ben-Yamin. Ben-Yamin, which means son of my right hand. In fact, years later, when Jacob himself was dying and he was blessing his sons, this is what he says about Benjamin. He says, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning, he devours the prey. In the evening, he divides the plunder. Genesis 49, 27. That's strength. That's, that's power. And it came true because the tribe of Benjamin, if you read, there are several stories in the Old Testament that show that the tribe of Benjamin became famous for its, you know, their, their skill in, in battle and their warlike nature. They were a strong tribe. They had a lot of great strength and skill, kind of like a right hand for most people. But that's, that is uh, what became of the tribe of Benjamin. Not only that, but look who came from the tribe of Benjamin. You've got Saul, the first king of Israel, head and shoulders above everyone else. He came from Benjamin. Esther, who, because of her boldness and courage, saved the Jewish people from Benjamin. And also the apostle Paul, who spread the gospel to the world he endured probably more persecution than anyone. He wrote more books of the Bible than anyone, also from Benjamin. So certainly a tribe associated with strength. So Benjamin had a very difficult birth, but in many different ways, his name is associated with strength. The same thing occurred years later with Mary and the birth of her son, Jesus, right there in the same location in Bethlehem. Because Mary, in her own way, had a very difficult labor, right? I mean, she was forced to give birth away from her home while traveling in a stable with so many rumors swirling around her, with so many unknowns in front of her. But her son, more than any other, would be a son that was associated with strength and power. A name that was given to him by his father. God the Father sent through a dream to Joseph 
a message saying, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua in Hebrew, the Lord saves. That's a name of strength, one who saves, rescues. He's the savior of the world. He is the king of Israel forever. He is the lion of Judah. He is the one who defeats all our enemy. He is the son of God who sits at the right hand, Yamin, at the right hand of the Father in heaven. So he is indeed one who is strong, who is powerful. Let's look at another story that takes place in Bethlehem, and this is the story of Ruth from the book of Ruth. If you look at Ruth, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So you have this family of four who lives in Bethlehem, but because there's a famine, they decide to get up, leave that area, and go to Moab. While they're in Moab, those two sons got married. However, they, those two sons eventually died along with their father. And so now it's just Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And once the famine is over, Naomi then decides to go back to Bethlehem, where she's from, her hometown. And Ruth goes with her in order to help. In Ruth 2, verse 2, it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. So that's what she did. She went out. And whose field did she find favor in? Boaz, a relative of Naomi's, a redeemer. In fact, that's exactly what Naomi says in Ruth 2.20. Naomi also said to her, the man is a relative of ours, one of our redeemers, you see, according to the Old Testament law, Boaz could buy their land, Naomi and Ruth, he could buy their land in order to keep the land in the family. And he could also marry Ruth in order to raise up a son to carry on the name of Ruth's deceased husband. And you, you can read about this in Leviticus 25, where it talks about redeeming the land, and also in Deuteronomy 25, where it talks about redeeming uh, the wife of the deceased. So that's what Boaz does. That's exactly what he does. He gathers the elders, he gathers a bunch of witnesses, and he makes it official. Ruth 4.11, then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. Now, Boaz was definitely renowned in Bethlehem, and Ruth very much built up the house of Israel because Ruth became the great-grandmother of a shepherd named David. Ruth was the great-grandmother of David, King David, the greatest house that ever existed in the history of Israel. King David 
who himself was from Bethlehem. It was his family, the family of David, the house of David, from which the Messiah would come. Again, to Bethlehem, right there in Bethlehem, where Ruth was redeemed. The same place where Ruth was redeemed is the same place where the Messiah comes, the, re- the one who's going to redeem all of us, who redeems everyone of us who look to follow him. And God sent to all of us a redeemer right there in Bethlehem through Mary, the one who will restore to us everything, everything that we lost in the fall. In this, just like with Boaz, we have a redeemer who takes us as his bride, who joins us together with him forever so that we are no longer left alone. We're no longer destitute. We're no longer helpless. And everything that belongs to our redeemer now belongs to us. We share it. He shares it with us. The riches of heaven, all the riches of heaven, it's all ours now. Just waiting for us. And soon our Redeemer will even restore this earth, this land that we were born on. He will restore it as well. He will make it new, and then he will give it back to us for us to rule with him on it forever. Even the land will be redeemed. Now, finally, I want to look at the fulfillment, the fulfillment of Bethlehem. The town of Bethlehem, even though it is just a small town, is fulfilled by Jesus or Yeshua in a number of different ways. For example, if you go back to the story of Rachel, remember that Rachel dies while giving birth to Benjamin. Now, look at what it says in Jeremiah 31, 15. It says, thus says the Lord, a voice is heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now, when Jeremiah wrote this, he was watching as Babylon was taking the tribe of Judah and Benjamin captive away from the land to Babylon. In fact, Jeremiah saw it firsthand because he himself was also among all the other captives that were taken to this specific location, Rama, Rama, which is in, located in the tribe of Benjamin. So you look at where all the tribes are on the map. Inside the land of Benjamin is this city, Rama. Jeremiah 40, verse 1, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Rama, when he took him bound in chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. So as part of Jeremiah's weeping and his lamentation over those who were killed and taken captive, this is what he writes. A voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. And again, this is, this is Ramah, which is located in Benjamin. And Rachel is the mother of Benjamin. And so all the people who come from Benjamin are Rachel's children. So she's, in a sense, weeping for all her children because many of them were killed by Babylon, many more were taken captive away. And because of that, now, right there, the tribe of Benjamin in Israel, it is no more. Once Babylon came and took over. 
and took them captive. And as it says, Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. But what's amazing, or even more amazing about this verse, is that it's fulfilled again, a second time with the birth of Jesus. In Matthew 2, 16 to 18, it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Okay, we know that Jesus was taken by Joseph. Joseph took them both, uh, Jesus and Mary, and they fled to Egypt. But many mothers there in Bethlehem and in that region lost their boys. There were many babies, innocent babies, who were killed. And so there was a lot of weeping and very loud lamentation because of Herod's cruelty right there in Bethlehem and in the surrounding region. And when you read this part of the story, immediately you think, man, nothing has changed, right? The same kind of cruelty continues today by evil men, even the slaughtering of babies in that same region of the world. This world is very lost, but thank God, praise God, not for much longer, because just as he prophesied and fulfilled the first coming of Jesus, so also very soon we believe the second coming when Jesus comes back and returns. I mean, if Jesus was willing to come the first time, knowing that he would be hated, he would die on a cross, he would suffer such a horrific punishment that he didn't deserve, then he will certainly come back again to set up his kingdom and to rule from a throne that he does deserve. And Luke pointed this out last week. Jesus is the ruler that comes out of Bethlehem, as it says in Micah 5.2. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who's to be ruler in Israel. You know, the people of Bethlehem at that time, just a small town in the tribe of Judah, they thought of themselves as kind of nothing. They were among the least in such a tribe like Judah. They were nothing like the cities of, you know, Hebron or Beersheba or Ashdod or Lachish. Or especially they were nothing compared to the capital city of Jerusalem. But what they didn't know and they didn't realize is that their small town would one day become one of the greatest because it would one day be the birthplace of the Messiah who would rule as king over Israel forever. Now, let me point out just one more way that the town of Bethlehem is fulfilled in Jesus. How many of you are familiar with what the name Bethlehem means? What the word Bethlehem means? House of bread. House of bread. bread. Beit, house, lechem, bread. So literally house of bread, which is fitting because that's who Jesus is. First, he is a house. He is our home. 
right? We are told in Scripture many times to abide in Christ, to abide in Him, not just once in a while pop in, not just once every so often drop in, say hi, and take off and leave. No, we are told to abide in Christ, to dwell with Christ, to stay in His presence. John 15, 4, abide in me. Stay here with me. Wherever you go, stay with me. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Right? That's what a home is. Isn't it? That's, a home is a place of rest. It's a place you go to, you know, escape the world, to relax after a long day of work. It's, you know, where you can share your burdens with those close to you, with those who love you. That's Jesus. Jesus provides all those things I just said. That is who he is for us. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus offers to share a home with us, that kind of experience. If we just let him in to our daily life and give him as much attention as we would any guest, then it's we who will feel more at home than we have ever felt. Always secure, always welcome, always wanted. So that's house, Jesus' house. He's a home. But also, Jesus is bread. Lachem, right? John 6, 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Because Jesus knows. He, can, he knows we all hunger. We all hunger for something more than what this world offers. Because, th- I mean, this is late country, right? It's not a bad place to live. People come on vacation here. We've got lakes all around us. It's a beautiful area. And people do pretty well. Generally speaking, they do well financially. I mean, we see nice cars. People own boats. People go on multiple vacations every year. And most live in a home worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. Not everyone, not all of us. But however much any of us have, we all hunger for something else, something more. That's why, you know, it's the Christmas season. Even after Christmas is over and we've all opened up a number of gifts, we've all gone to a bunch of fun parties, we can actually feel worse after it's all done, especially if we haven't spent any time with Christ. It just feels something's missing because we were created for something else. We hunger for something more. That's why Jesus says, Come to me. Come to me. And don't just come for crumbs. Don't just take your Sunday crumb today and then starve yourself for the rest of the week. No. Stay near him today. Come back to him again tomorrow. And Tuesday. And Wednesday. 
and so on. Make it a habit. You make it a habit, then you will never hunger because Jesus is your bread. He is the only one who truly can feed your soul. So when it comes to the story, the true story, of the birth of Christ and of his, of his birth in Bethlehem, remember, when you look at Bethlehem throughout time, Bethlehem is a story that starts with pain. It starts with difficulty. It starts with loss. You have Rachel dying, the Israelites wandering, Naomi losing everything, and Mary stuck in a stable. But it ends with joy. It ends with hope. Because Benjamin is born, Ruth is redeemed, Bethlehem, the individual, enters the promised land, and a Savior is born. So be encouraged. And remember, your Redeemer, your Redeemer is coming back to restore everything that was lost and more. And he's going to share with us everything. And he does share with us everything that he possesses. It's coming soon. But until then, until then, until he does, keep Bethlehem in mind. House of bread. Make Christ your home and your bread every day. He is our house of bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for sending your Son. In Christ, we thank you with overwhelming, overflowing gratitude. Thank you so much, Christ, for coming into this world, coming to Bethlehem. You, yourself, experienced such great pain, difficulty, sorrow, suffering, but it was so that you could bring to us joy and hope and life and peace. Lord, I pray that you would help us all to meditate on these wonderful truths that come out of the story of Bethlehem, that you are our Redeemer, that you restore all that was lost and grant us even more than we can imagine, and that every day, we can find a home in you and we can feed our souls on your, your presence and on your truth in your word. Help us, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Have a wonderful day. We, if you need prayer, please, we have um, people on the, on the sides here would love to pray for you. Thank you.